Good morning. Thanks, Chrissy, for figuring out what that was. Appreciate it. Well, this last Wednesday, we had an exciting day as a church. About a third of you showed up to our annual budget meeting. Now, how many of you, when you think annual budget meeting for a church, think, wow, what an exciting night? Nobody? We had wine and cheese. It was lovely. Because what's a budget without wine and cheese? Am I right? And I know most of you showed up to that meeting because we promised a really big announcement about the future of the church. We said, you're going to want to hear it. So for those of you who did not make the meeting on Wednesday, are you ready for the announcement? Yes. Too bad, you'll have to wait a little bit longer. <laughs> Before we get to this big announcement that I think you're going to want to hear, I want to share with you some of the story of where we've been before. But before we do that, I want to spend some time in God's Word. So if you would like to open up to Nehemiah chapter 9, if you have the blue Bibles and the pews in front of you or along the walls upstairs, it's on page 504. Feel free to use your own Bible or your phone. Nehemiah chapter 9. If you're not familiar with Nehemiah, let me just give you some backstory. The people of God are promised to have a land of their own in which God will be their God and will bless them abundantly. But he gives a condition to this promise. If you follow my ways, things will go well for you. And if you don't, things will go poorly for you. And that's not a condition of a threat. That's a statement of reality. It's like if you walk in traffic, you're probably going to get hit at some point. Right? It just is. You don't need to argue like good, bad, or indifferent. It just if we follow God, it works well for us because His plans and His ways are intended for our good to build us up and strengthen us as His people, as His children, to teach us how to walk with Him all of our days. And when we walk away from Him, we miss out on all that He is doing and all that He is saying and we begin to hear the lies of the world and the burdens of this life and begin to wonder, where are you, God? It's simple. Right where he's always been, chasing after you and me. And so in Nehemiah, what's happened up until this point is the people of God repeatedly wanted the Lord. They followed after him. And then when things went really well, they ran off in their own direction and did their own thing. And once again, things got really tough. And they came running back time and time again. And every time, the Lord welcomed them back. And he began to warn them, if you do this, an enemy will conquer you. You will be taken away as slaves in a foreign land. You will have someone else who rules over you. And they didn't believe God. God always does what He says and says what He does. And so, the people end up in exile. They are forced away from their land into a foreign land under a foreign king, worshiping foreign gods in a foreign culture, and everything they know is difficult. How can we be faithful to God surrounded by such a faithless culture and generation? And through this, God brings a remnant, a small portion, back to Jerusalem through a man named Ezra and then a man named Nehemiah. Two leaders who are empowered by God to bring the people back in a small portion to rebuild the temple, the place of gathering, the place of worship, the place where God had promised to meet His people and to rebuild the walls around the city 
because it was in a confined, walled city that you had safety against enemies. That you had protection against not only the beasts of the field, but the people who did not care for you. In fact, in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah leads the charge to rebuild the walls. And it's incredible. They build the entire wall all the way around the city in 52 days. An act of God's faithfulness as He helps them to accomplish that feat as He defends them from their enemy. In fact, their enemies are pressing against them in such a way that for most of their building, they have to build with one hand and have a sword in the other just in case their enemy comes at any moment. They're ready to defend. And they build this wall and they begin in chapter 8 to hear God's Word spoken and read. And as they hear God's Word, something really strange happens. They're convicted to the core. All of this hardship, all of this pain, all of this burden is a result of our own sinfulness. We have not loved the Lord with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And they're so convicted that every time they hear the Word of God, they begin to weep. And Nehemiah and Ezra say, this is not the way it should be. In fact, the Word of God should show us that God is faithful when we are not and will restore us and will always be with us. So we're going to pause. We're going to have a week-long party. All that we're going to do as a community, we're just going to party and celebrate that God is good and faithful no matter what. Sorry, the big news to come is not that we're stopping everything for a week-long party. That's not yet in the church budget, but maybe someday in the future, all right? So here we get to Nehemiah. They finished this week-long party, and they continue with this. Chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now on the front 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth with earth on their heads. That is, they were assembled again after this party to say, God, we come before you humbly and we recognize that we are broken and we are in need of you. And here in this position of humility before the Lord, broken and not altogether perfect and put together. It says, the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. Just imagine if I read God's Word for a quarter of the day, how many of you would be in church next week? And then after that quarter of the day, they break for lunch, right? No, instead, then for the next quarter of the day, they confess their sins. Anyone excited for that Sunday morning service? For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the, stairs of the Levi, on the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunny, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shanani. Shanani? And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Yeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, all these others with big names, they said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Before we get into the rest of this portion of Nehemiah, I really love this story. You see, they've just had a week to celebrate God's goodness, which leads them to a realization that they are completely 
broken. Here in this place, when we say come as you are and it's okay to not be okay, we believe that encountering God and knowing His goodness has to start with a church full of broken people. It has to start with a church full of people who realize I am not perfect and neither are you and we will never be a perfect congregation. We will fail the Lord and fail one another often. And it's from this place of humility that we get to encounter the blessing of the Lord. See, if we show up week in and week out, whether the sermon's a quarter of the day long or not, whether we spend a quarter of the day confessing our sins or not, if we show up to encounter God and to meet with Him, thinking we have anything to offer to Him except for our broken, sinful self, we already are going astray. See, God doesn't need your good works. He doesn't need your love. He doesn't need your praise. He doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need anything from you except all of your brokenness. Because it's in your brokenness that He is glorified. For through your mess, He makes something really beautiful. From this place they continue. Beginning in verse 6. This is what the Levites, the priests, the ones acting on behalf of God for the sake of the people begin to do. They say, You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. They begin with God, the Father Almighty, who is Maker of heaven and earth. The One who in Genesis made all things and made you and me in His image. That we could delight in Him. That we could walk with Him. That we could live wholly with Him and with one another. Begin, God, You are the One who created everything. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Pezzarite, the Jebusite, and the Gergesite. You have kept your promise for you are righteous. They gather in their broken state and begin, God, look at what you have done. Let's recount the works of your hands, your faithfulness thus far. You made everything. You called Abraham a man who was fatherless, and you promised to make him the father of all nations, this one whose children and descendants would be more numerous than the stars. God, this is who you are, the one who sustained him through all things. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. 
and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. Oftentimes when we think about the future God has for us, I'm really prone to think all about my future. What does God have for me, for my family, in my circumstance? What should I do? One of the things I love about Nehemiah, when the people gather and they begin to hear God's Word, it moves them outside of what's in it for me to a remembrance of God, who are you? Who are you and who have you been? What have you done and where have you moved? And he describes creating and then Abraham and then Moses and how God rescued his people. See, they were enslaved and he brought them miraculously out of slavery. He set them free so that they could be his people for all generations so they could follow him. He provided for them their every need water from a rock and bread from the sky he gave them in abundance and said i will be your god when we want to look at the future that god has that god has in store for us i think the best place to begin is not with you and me but to look back on the past he already has before us on all the things he's already done so that when we prepare ourselves for the future to come we have a firm foundation of God's faithfulness and His goodness and His power to work in whatever the future may hold. But then things take a turn for the worse. They continue in their remembrance. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Even in their remembrance, they remember the unfaithfulness of the people before them. See, it's tempting to remember the glory days of days before and just long to return to what once was wonderful and peachy and awesome. But the future the Lord has for us almost always requires a real and honest admission. The days past were not as perfect as we hoped they would be. And this is important because the days ahead will also not be as perfect as we hope them to be. 
The things to come will also include you and me, the congregation of God, sinful and broken, finding new ways to do the same old dumb things and mess it all up. But our remembrance of where God has been faithful comes back to this. You are slow to anger, abounding in love, steadfast in mercy. You are faithful even when we are not. Then it continues. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sion, king of Heshbon, the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do for them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. In spite of the sinfulness of the people, in spite of their failure to do as God commanded, He was still faithful. Still gave them everything He told them He would. Still provided for them for all of their needs. And blessed them abundantly. And they became fat and began to declare, Great are You, God. And what we see in the story to come is that often when we become fat and things go really well, it's easy to forget that God's the one who gave them to us. It's easy to begin to think, I have earned this, I deserve this, this is my own doing. In fact, here's what happens. Nonetheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and you warned them in order to turn back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your Spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. I love the context that Nehemiah is sharing this history. The people by all accounts, are on the up and up. They now are back in their city. They now have a temple. They now have walls. 
And yet things are not yet as it should be. Even in the confines of the safety God has provided, things are not yet as He promised they would be. For most of their people were still scattered. They were still even here in Jerusalem with a city rebuilt under the authority and the leadership of a man and an empire that was evil and against this God. They still did not have the freedom God had promised to them. And it's in this context that Nehemiah speaks. I know that God has been faithful. I know that He has provided. I know that He has mercies that are abounding, that are great and magnificent. I know that He will never fail us. So right now, when things look bleak, when things are hard, when life is not yet as we think it should be, when His promises seem distant and in a far-off future we cannot attain, right now, remember His faithfulness. Remember all that He has done. Because it's in knowing what He has done, we have some place to stand for what's to come. They go on and they make a covenant, a promise. God, we will follow You. We will do according to Your ways. If you know the story, they don't. There's a pattern. It continues. But God is gracious and merciful. And where God came upon them in judgment time and time again, you and I have a hope that He's not coming upon us in judgment anymore. We have a hope that He fulfilled all of His promises and sent His Son who took the full wrath of God on Himself that you and I need not worry the judgment of God and fret the things that may go wrong, but can have a sure and steadfast hope that everything He promised has been fulfilled in Jesus. That everything He said He's giving to you and me, He is giving to us through the work of His Son. And when we look to our future, it's important to remember His faithfulness past. That He has never left or abandoned His people. And that even now, He won't. Now to switch from there a little bit, I wanted to spend a few minutes just remembering the past of this congregation. See, at the budget meeting on Wednesday, one of the things I noticed that was really fascinating, half the people in the room, which by the way, was the biggest budget meeting we've ever had. I think Wine and Cheese does that. But half the people in the meeting have only been a part of the point for three years or less. Which means out of our 13 years as a church, most of the people in the room and probably even more today, have no idea the past of God's faithfulness to this congregation. And I think it's important to see His faithfulness to this congregation as I prepare for the big announcement of what's coming. Here's where we've been. In 2010, the point in partnership with Grace Lutheran Church set out to establish a congregation, a Lutheran congregation in Knoxville that was specifically focused on connecting the disconnected to a growing and reproducing relationship with Jesus. That is, we looked around the South and all the churches and we saw a whole host of people who for one reason or another, perhaps their own sin or perhaps the sin of the church from which they came from, for all sorts of reasons, felt pushed away and isolated from God. Like God no longer cared about them and if He did, the God they'd been told about 
was not necessarily a God worth following. And so with this aim, seeking to connect new people, the planting pastor at the time, Matt Peoples, set out with a vision, how do we create a safe space where people who want nothing to do with the church feel comfortable to come and learn about Jesus and follow after Him, not in an institutional, organizational way, but in a personal, transforming way. And he had this vision for the point for what could be. And he believed at the time that the point was supposed to be someplace near the West Town Mall, someplace in the area of Bearden, reaching these people who are far from God. And he said, where do we go? And I don't know if you know this, but even in 2010, real estate was still difficult to find at an affordable price because as a church plant, you're given a small budget that's to last you three years. And at the end of that time frame, it's on you. And either you fail or you succeed. So trying to pinch every penny, he said, where can we go? And he was really discouraged. And one day, being discouraged, not finding a place to meet, not sure where to launch this church, he just was driving down the interstate and saw the mall and said, you know what? I've lived here in Knoxville almost a year and I've never stepped foot in the mall. Anybody else here not stepped foot in the mall? You're probably not missing much. It's just a mall like any other mall. So he stopped to step foot and just check out the mall. He thought, I'll walk around, I'll see what I'll see, and it'll clear my mind, and then I'll continue looking for property. And as he walked around, if you've ever been in the mall, you may remember before they renovated the movie theater, to get to the movie theater from the main space of the mall was this really creepy dark hallway that almost seemed like it didn't exist. And then there's an escalator, and you're like, where am I going? Who's going to be on the other side? What's happening here? And he walked around the mall, and he sees this little hallway, and he's like, I'll walk down this hallway and sees what happens. And up on the top of the escalator, he opens up to this big movie theater with all this extra space that was empty. And he just walked up to the manager and said, I had no idea this space was here. Can can you show me around? Not knowing who this man was or why he was asking, the manager took him around and showed him not just the movie theater, but all of the empty, abandoned, walled-off space that they had unused and available. Like, here's our space. Check it out. And Matt realized what place is safer for somebody who doesn't feel connected to church or safe in church than a movie theater. Most of us can safely go there and feel like we can sit and watch and participate and learn. And so by accident, the point stumbled into this space in the mall. And we worshiped there in this space in the mall for almost seven years before God moved us someplace else. And as the church grew, the movie theater grew allowing for us to adapt and change and move into new theaters and new spaces and utilize empty spaces that were just wasted for them in ways they had never imagined utilizing before. It's an incredible gift of God. Now along the way, Matt, trying to figure out how do we connect new people in the community, said, what if we built a habitat house? Anybody in here ever built a habitat house with Habitat for Humanity? If you're the primary sponsor at the time, I think it's gone up a little bit since, To be the primary sponsor, building the house costs $40,000. As a church plant, with a very small budget, Matt said, I think this will help us connect with new people, but we don't have $40,000. How do we do this? So he just sat down and prayed and said, God, can you provide three people who don't go to the point, who want to do the things the point's doing, who will pay $10,000 to help make this happen? And sure enough, he started getting phone calls hey, I heard from so-and-so that you're looking to do this Habitat house. I'd love to participate. And God provided people who did not go to the point, who were not connected to the point, to help us participate in providing this house for somebody 
who needed it. Now, over the last 20 years, our Lutheran denomination, our district, which is all of Tennessee and Arkansas and a little bit more, it's a huge geographical space, has spent over $15 million planting churches. Most of that did not go to the point. And most of those churches over that time have not succeeded. See, church planting is really difficult because often what works in the first couple of years is the same exact thing that burns people out and they get exhausted and tired and they quit. Within three years, well before that money was to run out, the point was in a place that was self-sufficient financially. Now imagine reaching people who want nothing to do with the church because one of the reasons is the church is all about my money. How is it that the church financially was self-sustaining? Well, in large part because no matter how many people the point reached, God always stirred in the hearts of some to say, this is our church home. We believe in this mission and this cause and we want to participate however we can. And one of the things that happens when you plant a new church, unfortunately, is there's this kind of bubble. This bubble in which there's a lot of people interested in supporting financially until they're not. And it's not because they don't like the church or the mission. They're like, I've done this long enough and now I'm going to stop supporting it. And so the, the district blessed the church and said, congratulations, you're a successful church plant. We can wash our hands and celebrate and move on to another attempt someplace else. And then this bubble burst and Matt was looking at the budget going, I, I don't know how we're going to do this for even a few more days. And the point was awarded a grant they didn't know was coming out of the blue that covered the rest of the year's income and carried them through to the next year. In 2015, as they were trying to figure out how do we continue to sustain, we've done this for five years, that bubble still continues to be there, what do we do next? As they're growing and they're baptizing people, as they're doing all sorts of things, Pastor Matt said, what's next? And one of his leaders at the time, one of the wise people around him said, what if we seek to raise the money for rent in advance of the new year? And it kicked off something called Rent Free 2015. And for those of you who've been here for a few years, you know that we have done that for many years. And since then, it's shifted to something different, which I'll tell you about here in a moment. And so they set out with a goal. Here's what we need to pay rent in the movie theater so we don't have to worry about that and we can focus all of our resources on connecting with the community and serving our city. And they had this grand ambition. And you know what happened with that rent-free 2015? It was completely unsuccessful. And Matt was out of luck. What do we do? How do we continue? And so December 31st comes along. He's like, we don't have the money we thought we'd have. How long can we continue? And that first week of January 2016, he gets a phone call from somebody who does not go to the point. He says, I've heard what you're doing. I'd like to talk with you and ask questions. And he sat down for coffee and asked questions, and this individual wrote a $60,000 check. He said, here you go. I hope this helps. Somebody who did not belong to this congregation, but believed in the things we as a church were doing seeking to connect those who feel like they are too far gone or too unlovable or not welcome in the family of God. And rent-free became a success and sustained them through that year. And at the end of that year, about this time actually, Pastor Matt received a call from another church, will you come and help us create a network of church plants that work together to plant more churches? 
And some of you were here for that terrifying moment when he announced that he was leaving. And the planting pastor was getting ready to go. Now, I don't know if you know much about how churches work. The planting pastor has a huge responsibility of shaping the culture and gathering people. And a lot of the church is built around that individual because that's how it sustains. And Matt, on January 1st of 2017, left. And the point was left without a pastor going, now what? Now, unbeknownst to the point, Matt, at that same time of about November, maybe late October of 2016, had called me. I was in seminary, and he said, I'd just like to talk to you and tell you about the point and and hear more about who you are. We had met once or twice when he was on campus, and so we talked, we had this interview, and he said, hey, thanks. Now, the way the process works is he didn't get to have a say in who the point called for their pastor, so he just began to pray. He said, I really hope Adam can become our pastor. And the way the process works is a handful of you came down to St. Louis and interviewed me, and you don't get to have a say in who becomes your pastor. The seminary says, here's who you get. So he said, please, we hope to get Adam. And I was like, the point would be great. Though secretly, I was hoping to end up on the West Coast, and this is not West Coast. (laughs) And God worked it out that I get to come and be your pastor. The very thing Matt was hoping for and praying for, the very thing that the point was hoping for and praying for that was out of our control, God made happen. And so for now, almost seven years, I have had the joy of being your pastor. Here in just a couple of months, I will have been the pastor here longer than Pastor Matt was. And you know what I stepped into when I first got here? An absolute mess. Not because you guys were a mess. I didn't know what I was doing. And right after I got here, the mall said, by the way, we're closing for renovation and you need to move. I said, cool, can you give me a time frame? Like how long? In two months. The seminary does not train you to find a new location at all, yet alone in two months. And the really incredible thing through that time, God opened up a space in another movie theater not far away where we could gather and we could meet and we could connect with people. And we moved then in 2017, Christmas Eve, into the movie theater at the downtown West. And we continued to be in the community through things like Bar Church and Wing Fest and Brew Fest. And like three weeks after I'd gotten here, they said, by the way, you're preaching at Bar Church. And I said, that's cool. What is that? They said, it's church in a bar on Wednesday. Cool. And we got to just show up in places that people didn't expect and have conversations with people who were really, really far from the church, and they had a whole lot of questions and problems and reasons they were mad, and it was usually at me, though I didn't know why. And we just kept showing up time and time again. And those couple of years in the movie theater were absolutely incredible with God providing abundantly. And then in 2020, we sat down as a church, in February, and we said, where do we think the Lord is leading us from here? And together we said, we think we need more than anything else, community. We're 10 years into this endeavor. We need people that are in our corner, friends that go beyond Sunday morning. We need to be the people of God together in our city. This is what we long for. And then March of 2020 happened. And I I don't know if you were around at that point anywhere. March of 2020 was kind of crazy for every church and every place everywhere. And if you were in a movie theater, I I don't know if you know this, movie theater shut down for a really, really long time. 
And so we went from really saying we need to invest in one another to having no idea where we would gather or how we would meet or who we would be going forward. And we began to live stream out of Emily's apartment because six people in a 400-square-foot apartment is a great way to keep social distancing. And as we live-streamed out of her apartment, I drove by this building and I sent a text to the pastor who was here in this building at the time and just said, how are you doing? And he said, great. Do you want our building? What? See, previously in 2018, we'd looked for a space of our own at over 100 different places. And none of them were the right one. None of them worked out for a lot of different reasons. So I brought all 13 of my leaders into this building and we walked through it and said, what do you think? Take a week, pray about it, get back to me, tell me if this is the right move for the church or not. And every one of them separately and privately got back to me and said, this is where we think the Lord wants us to be. And at the time when we moved in here, it was cheaper for us to have this building all week long than it was to have the movie theater for four hours a week. God provided for us to move into this space, to be in this neighborhood, to connect with our community, to love our neighbors, to serve, and for many of you, to create a safe place where you can gather and hear God's word and know that you are loved for the first time, perhaps. And we've now been here for almost three years. Last year, something really cool happened that I'm going to end with this. Last year in August, we as leaders sat down and said, it'd be really helpful to have an additional staff person, but it's not wise to hire anybody until our finances change. And so we set a goal of having two months of savings in our account as kind of a buffer if something hits the fan. We said, when we get there, we can consider hiring somebody part-time to help with all the things that are happening. Fast forward a couple of weeks. Right after we're at Wingfest, I get a phone call from somebody. It says, hey, I've got some questions. I'm used to questions. Fire away. Specifically regarding tithing. Okay, money questions are always complicated. Go on. So this person begins to explain the situation. They've come into some money. They want to tithe. They said, can, can I tithe? Sure. I won't say no. Asked some questions about logistics and then proceeded to tell me, I'd like to write a check to the church for $200,000. Now, if you have no idea about this church. Our annual budget is almost $200,000. Everything we do for the whole year is just a little more than that. Here's one singular person who said, I am excited for what God is doing and I want to be a part of it. But had a request. I want you to use most of this money to prepare for the future God has in store. Use it for a permanent place where you can remain and serve the city for the long haul, for the things to come. So we were able to hire that part-time person, which has been a huge help having Michelle around. We've begun the process of exploring where is that permanent home God wants us to be. And that big news that I have for all of you today that you missed out on on Wednesday it might not be here. Now, I know for some of you, this place has some great memories and some fond moments, and this place has been a huge blessing to us. For some of you, you're brand new, and you're like, I don't really care about any of this. Bear with me. You see, we approached our landlord 
And we shared with him our interest in beginning the process to prepare to purchase this place. At which point he realized we were not paying the amount that we should have been paying in taxes and insurance. And he raised our rent 40% in one month. We shared at the budget meeting various things we're doing to help prepare for that. But what that confirmed for every one of us was that God has a place in store where we can invest in this city for the long haul. Possibly it's here. The landlord has not closed that door, but the price tag he's looking to want is likely far out of our reach. So we're beginning the process of looking for what's next. Where do we go from here? And if you weren't here for the two previous moves in my first seven years as your pastor, if you weren't here for all the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows, if you weren't here for that, the idea of moving can be really exhausting and scary and confusing and a whole host of, oh no, now what? Which is why I wanted to share with you Nehemiah. See, there's a lot about the future that we do not know. There's a lot about what God has in store that is completely not yet revealed. But the one thing we know is thus far He has been faithful through everything for this church. He has shown up in ways we weren't even knowing we needed to ask for. He has provided in ways we haven't even been looking for time and time again. And through it, we have connected with hundreds of people many of whom got connected to the church and to the Lord and ended up moving to new cities and are connected to churches there. Walking with the Lord in all sorts of faith. I want to share one individual in particular. Living in Florida now, caring for his mother-in-law, when this individual first came to the point, he came having been kicked out of other churches. He came being told that God no longer loved him, never loved him, and he was unlovable. His first time coming to the point in the movie theater, he was covered in black and wore white face paint. His goal was to test and see, can I really come as I am? Will they really love me? And he was greeted there that day by somebody who said, hey, I'm glad you're here. Is this your first time here? I don't know, that feels like a silly question. If you've never seen somebody all in black with white face paint, it's probably their first time there. But he was greeted, and he said, yeah, this is my first time here. I said, well, glad you're here. We've got some coffee. Come on in. Thanks for joining us. He came in, and he sat in the back, and he hid in the corner, and he realized that he could come exactly as he was, and he could be loved and welcomed exactly as he was. And he continued to come back every single week for every time we're open. Sometimes he'd walk a few miles to get there. He continued to be really, really involved and to grow in his faith until the Lord moved him down to Florida to get married and to care for his mother-in-law. But he still, probably this morning, live streams every single week because his schedule does not allow him to be connected to a church where he's at. And he continues to reach out and say, thank you for all that you at the point are doing, for all that you have done and will do. Our search for a permanent space is for guys like him. Those who think they're unlovable, who need to know that God loves them. And we believe whatever this next year holds, these next couple of years as we pursue this endeavor, God will provide and will show up in this community, in this people, in this place. And wherever He leads us, we know it will be better than where we are today.
Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you always have been faithful. That you have always led your church and your people. God, we thank you that we don't need to know what the future holds. But we know that you will be enough. We thank you for Nehemiah remembering the promises, the ways in which you were faithful to Abraham, to Moses, God, to all of your people, even when they were a mess. And God, we thank you that you have been faithful to us at the point even when we have been a mess. When we have not known where we would be or who we are or how we do it, God, you have continued to love us and lead us and guide us. So we ask for this unknown future before us, for the wisdom and the discernment to know What's next? We ask even more than that, Lord, that we would continue to grow as a people who know you are faithful in all things. Would we experience your faithfulness in the little moments, in the big moments, in all the ways that you continue to move? May we give you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mentioned that we used to end our year with the year-end rent-free campaign to prepare for what God had in store next year. When we moved into this space, we decided the thing we needed was not rent-free, but to be a community, one that loved one another, that loved our city, and loved those who don't know they're lovable. And so we set out each year at the end of the year to set aside funds for the coming year specifically to help us foster friendship, sustain our future, and serve our city. A big part of our year-end goal that's coming uh, that I'll share more about in the weeks to come is we believe that part of seeking a permanent home requires a little bit of an upfront investment as well as uh, covering the cost of remaining in this building with the increased rent. And so we're asking God to do something really big. We're asking you as those who generously partner with us to do something really big, and that is over the course of the rest of the year to give $50,000 above and beyond what is normal so that we can use that money next year to really propel us in the search for a new home. See, a new home for responsibility requires us to invest a little to make sure what we do is wise and responsible. And so in the coming weeks, you're going to hear more about how we foster friendship, how we sustain our future, and how we serve our city, and how your partnership with us will help us to do that. But today, as we collect an offering, I want you to know that if you are somebody who prefers to give with cash or check, and you call this place your home and would like to give an offering in that way, you can do so by placing it in the black boxes as you exit here in a few minutes. If you filled out one of those teal cards that says connect on the top with a way we can pray for you, a way we can connect with you, you can place those in the box as well. And if you're somebody who calls this place your home and would like to partner with what we're doing through an online gift, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, every week we invite your questions and I do my best to respond. I keep trying to convince, uh, this is Adam, uh, or it's Adam and Adam, right? He's becoming a pastor. I am the pastor. Soon we're going to have two Adams. And I keep trying to convince him to respond to the questions, but he's not yet comfortable. So he's going to ask 
the questions you asked, and I'll do my best to respond. Reading the questions is far uh, easier than answering them, I've learned. So. But my wife says I'm terrible at reading the questions. Oh, you do great. So, you do a good job. Yeah. We all have our strengths. No doubt. So I think we have two comments and three questions. So uh, I'll begin with the comments. The first is blessings and happy birthday, Howie. Yeah, today Howie and Matthias and Tyler Reaver, uh, all three of these individuals have birthdays. So happy birthday, Howie. Happy birthday, Matthias. Tyler's not here today, but if you're watching online, happy birthday. Second comment was, the tambourine was so wonderful this morning. It was Roger, right? Rocking the tambourine, so. He does rock a mean tambourine. All right, there you go. I'm still trying to convince him for more cowbell, but we haven't gotten there yet. I like it. You can never have too much cowbell. No. No way. All right, first question that says, how much longer is our lease? So we have until the end of 2025, which it sounds like forever away, but that's not that far in the grand scheme of things. It's going to happen really quick. So we will still be in this building for two years, but we know to be responsible and in investing in a space to go from there, whether it's this space or someplace else, we have to get started now. Difficult question, great question. It says, how do I move forward with forgiveness when the other person is enjoying still hurting me? I've cried all day. A couple of things. If that person is enjoying hurting you and doing so around you, it's okay as a Christian to set boundaries and say, you are not healthy and I can't be around you in this. It's okay to do that and you're not unloving to say, I need to separate from this unhealthy situation. So that's one thing. Second, if there's somebody who uh, enjoys hurting you but you are separated, they're not hurting you anew, they just aren't feeling guilty or ashamed or regretting of the ways they've hurt you, it's not your job to convict them. That's the Holy Spirit's. So if they've come to you seeking forgiveness... Our job as Christians is to give it freely, which is incredibly painful and difficult, but always good. If they haven't come to you seeking forgiveness, and you can set boundaries that separate and protect and, and defend you as you grow, uh, then what I recommend is how do you give forgiveness when it continues to hurt? Well, at that point, forgiveness is less about them and more about you. It's about surrendering all of that pain to Jesus and saying, this really, really hurts but I know that you can be there with me and for me and you can handle this. And so forgiveness has very little to do with their behavior and more to do with yours. Can you take that pain and give it to Jesus or do you need to hold on to it and try to fix it yourself? And Ephesians 4 talks about that we forgive because we were forgiven in Christ, right? So the idea that we need forgiveness, we need grace. Sometimes it's really hard with certain individuals, but we give it because we know we need it also. And I would say one of the best things that happened to me in seminary, we were forced to do private confession and absolution. That was all the things I felt guilty for, for myself, maybe I'd shared with others or not. I had to sit down with the pastor and share them with him and then be forgiven. And it was a remarkable experience that I would encourage for anybody because it's one thing to know that you're forgiven. It's another thing to hear it and to begin to believe it. And it makes it a lot easier to forgive others when you do that. So... If you're in that place of hurting and you want to meet privately, one-on-one, -on -one, I gladly will. Just let me know. Final question, uh, based on the uh, scripture reading from today, it says, what does it mean they had earth on their heads? Well, like in the spring, when we do Ash Wednesday, when we spread ashes on our heads, one of the ways that they would demonstrate their humility and, and put themselves before the Lord as those who were broken was to remind themselves that they would die and they would return to dust. 
like every one of us. They will return to the ground. So by covering their head with dirt and earth and other things, it was this reminder, both visible and spiritual, like I am nothing and I'm going to just become worm food at some point. So God, here I am before you in all humility, desperately in need of you. So I don't think you need to go out and like dump a bunch of dirt on your head today, uh, but you're welcome to it if that helps you be reminded uh, of humility and the goodness of God compared to us. When the question came in, I was looking. The ESV is the only version that uses earth. The rest, just as you said, say dust or uh, hmm. yeah, dirt, that kind of thing. Those are all the questions today. Well, wonderful. As always, you can text these questions in anytime. I'll do my best to respond to them either later in the week uh, online or next Sunday morning. So feel free to text them in any time. That number is on our website. Now, before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.